So we are um, in our teaching series, we call it a maze, working our way through the gospel of Mark, and we are creeping up on the halfway point. Do a quick little bit of review. The first three messages, we talked about um, Jesus and his power, and, right, and how he urgently desires to use that power on our behalf with compassion, with care, with concern. Jesus' heart is especially for those who have no power, and he wants to extend that power to them and work in them and through them. And these, this message and the one we just did are about the things that get in the way of us experiencing Jesus, right? Last week we talked about, um, I kind of gave the overarching idea of not being able to get out of my own way. And those not being able to get out of my own way comes from mental, intellectual obstacles, right? And we talked about, um, we talked about misinformation, and false assumptions, we talked about stereotypes, we talked about familiarity and how those things can keep us from exp experiencing Jesus. They kept his hometown from experiencing so much that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. But that didn't keep Jesus from being Jesus. He went out and he went immediately after that, he went on like a, a preaching and, and healing tour. And then he sends the disciples out. He gives them his authority. This is chapter 6, right? So I'm going to do, I'm doing a little bridge between what we covered last week and then a whole bunch of chapter 6 and then what we're going to talk about at the end of chapter 6. So Jesus is rejected in his hometown. He goes, teaches, and heals. He sends the disciples out with his power, right? I'm giving you my authority. Go teach and heal. And they actually go and do it. They actually go and do it. And at this point in the text, Mark inserts kind of, it's kind of like a flashback to the execution of John the Baptist. And Mark does this to kind of give us an idea of what's coming up ahead, that the road is about to get rough, and that ministry is hard. Helping bring about the kingdom of God is difficult. So after this flashback to John the Baptist's execution, uh, we're dropped back in on the disciples after their successful teaching and, and healing tour. And they come back to Jesus and they say, they did it. That's how they explain it. We did it. And if you read carefully in other parts of the New Testament, when a work of God is done through somebody, like Paul and Barnabas, they talk about what God did through them, not what they did. So the disciples were starting to believe their own press a little bit. They got a, they got a taste of what Jesus could do through them, and they captured it for themselves and not in not a great way be that as it may they were like out doing ministry for a long time and so when they came back and they shared that with jesus jesus wanted that them to rest right just like we talked about he wanted to take them alone some of the translations say a desolate place translates to wilderness a place away from people so they could rest so they could debrief so they could just be together take care of each other but the crowds follow them. Not only do the crowds follow them, but the crowds don't bring any food, right? There's no tailgating going on. They just show up. And so the disciples come to Jesus like, what are we going to do? He's like, feed them. He's like, they're like, well, we, that would cost like a year's wage. We can't feed them. They kind of get, the disciples get a little bit snippy with Jesus, a little bit sarcastic. He's like, all right, well, tell me what you have. We got five loaves and two fish. Good, let's do it. And again, through the disciples, he feeds thousands and thousands of people. And as soon as that's over, 
As soon as that's done, he says, collect up the leftovers, 12 baskets of leftovers, 12 disciples, 12 baskets of leftovers. There's enough for them after all the work is done. Jesus still takes care of them. He says, get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. Now, Jesus, the disciples were not, this, the feeding of the 5,000 is captured in all four Gospels. And in one of the other Gospels, we read how the people were going to come and make Jesus king by force. And Jesus knew he could, like, he could deal with that and handle it. But it doesn't say this in the text, but I think Jesus wasn't confident in the disciples' ability. Like, they would have been all over that. Yeah, let's make you king. Let's do this. Let's get this done. So Jesus says, get in the boat, go to the other side of the lake. And he, um, that's where we're going to pick up the, the text. This is Mark chapter 6. Beginning in verse 45, we're going to read through verse 52. Sorry. All right, here we go. Verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Right? This immediately, this is a word that Mark keeps using over and over and over again to express the sense of urgency with which Jesus is going about the mission that God the Father gave to him. And I highlighted pray because, I I don't know, I feel like sometimes we can get hung up on this, like, well, he's Jesus, right? He's supposed to be God. Why is he praying? And I would take you back to what we've talked about before as what the essence of prayer is. The essence of prayer is relationship and being with somebody, right? Prayer is about a life grounded in God. A life grounded in God is about prayer, So Jesus went up by himself to pray, to be with his Father. Our God exists in three co-eternal, co-equal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Very mysterious, difficult thing to get our brains around. But he wanted to be with his Father, right? That's That's why Jesus prayed. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. So this kind of gives us the idea that there's a pretty good distance between Jesus and the disciples at this point. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. The language for he saw is he was looking upon them compassionately. He saw they were having a hard time, right? And he wanted wanted to do something about it. He was about to pass them by. That's like bizarre. Why Why would Jesus do that? And, I mean, there's some, like, wacky ideas, right? Jesus was just messing with them. He was just, it was like a little joke. Jesus was being a jokester. He was going to walk by so he could sneak by and laugh. Jesus was mad at him. He's going to be passive aggressive. Like, yeah, I'll show you guys. I'll just walk by. Right? Literally, these are some of the explanations that people have, have come up with. But we're going to talk more. This is, like, actually a really important piece of this passage. So if you have your Mark journals, circle that, right? And we're going um, to come back to that. But when they saw him walking on the lake... They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Okay, so if there's anybody who should not have been terrified, it's these guys. These, half of these guys were experienced sailors and fishermen. They've been in rough water before. And they've been in rough water with Jesus. Two chapters earlier, they're in a boat, storm comes up, Jesus is taking a nap in the back of the boat, and they freak out, and Jesus wakes up and is like, really? And he says, quiet, be still. He's talking to the disciples, but he's also talking to the wave and the winds, and everything gets calm. These guys, if anybody should have been, okay, 
this is rough water, Jesus is with us, let's go. But they were still terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Um, that it is I, I want you to circle that if you have your mark journals, and I want you to draw a line with an arrow and connect pass them by with it is I. Connect those two phrases, all right? We'll come back to that. They were amazed, right? The disciples were dumbfounded. They were confused by what, by what was happening. That's the version of amaze that we have here. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. There's a connection between what Jesus did in feeding the 5,000 in the wilderness and what he just did on the water and the disciples were missing it okay the disciples were missing it so we have to remember mark's whole purpose in writing right the very first um, the very first verse this is mark 1 1 the beginning of the good news about jesus the messiah the son of god mark wants everybody to know who jesus is right he wants everybody to know who, who Jesus is. And so, couple in, the, in just this chapter, in chapter six, healing, teaching, miraculous control over nature, miraculous feeding, right? The, the miraculous stuff is pretty amazing in and of itself. But what's really, like, if we stop and we dig into this, what's really, really amazing about this is Things that Jesus was saying and doing were the exact same kind and type of things that God, the God of the Hebrew Bible did with, in, and through the people in the Old Testament, right? This passage, this chapter 6, is full of Old Testament callbacks and references. And the first one we see is the idea of the Exodus story. In the Old Testament, God is building a people for himself in the nation of Israel, this people are held captive by the Egyptian people. They're slaves, and it's a miserable, miserable existence. God frees the people of Israel from this miserable existence. The 12 disciples, right, represent Israel. The tw Israel was made up of 12 tribes. God frees them miraculously through the water, right? God performs the miracle of the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea so the Israelite people can go through it. And then as soon as they get through, the water collapses on the Egyptian army. He also makes a way for them to go through the Jordan Sea to get the Jordan River, to get to the promised land. Jesus walks on water. He saves the 12 disciples, the representatives of Israel, through the water. As the Israelites go through the Red Sea. They then proceed to, yeah, God, we're with you. And then they do something silly. Yeah, God, we're with you. And then they do something silly. And it caused them to wander for 40 years. And while they were wandering for 40 years, God miraculously fed them with manna, bread from heaven. Jesus just miraculously fed the lost sheep of Israel. In that passage, he refers to them as sheep without a shepherd. He feeds the lost sheep of Israel miraculously with five loaves of bread. He feeds thousands and thousands of people. The, I had you circle, pass by, and it is I, and connect those two, right? That language, Jesus was going to pass them by. He wasn't, it wasn't a joke. He wasn't mad. 
It's the language that God used in the Old Testament when he wanted to reveal his glory to Moses, when he wanted to reveal his glory to Elijah. Right? He said, Moses, I'm going to put you in this rock, protect you from all that I am, and you're going to see part of me, and I'm going to pass by. Right? Same thing with Elijah. I'm going to pass by you. Job writes about God as the one who passes by and the one who treads on the waves. That pass by, that's, that's God's language of revealing himself. I'm, I'm about to reveal myself. It is I is the same language God used when speaking to Moses, when Moses like, all right, I'm going to go tell these Israelite people that I'm going to be their leader. Whose authority? Who, who are you? Who am I? What should I say to them? Who are you? God says, tell them I am. It's the same language. I am the preexistent, self-sufficient God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, this quote in one of the commentaries I found, this is the most emphatic evidence to this point in Mark of Jesus' divine identity. All these Old Testament callbacks and references in this passage are just screaming out, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. So, the disciples are in the boat, and they're terrified. They're amazed. They're dumbfounded, confused. Why? Right? Why? Like, if the, all these things are right in front of them, why? What is happening? For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. In the biblical language, that term, hearts were hardened, means the inability to see, hear, understand, remember, and feel God. That's what happens when someone's heart is hardened. Now, in Scripture, there's a couple different ways hearts get hardened. One, God can harden people's hearts. In the Exodus story, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? So God could do what he needed to do. Our own bad decisions and sin can harden our hearts. And Romans 1 talks about how God gives people over to their sin. If they're going to continually make bad decisions, God will let them do what they want. And it hardens our hearts. And the last thing is our circumstances can harden our hearts. Just the stuff that happens in life, hard stuff, sad stuff, mad stuff, overwhelming stuff. And I think the disciples fell victim to numbers two and three, right? They kind of got prideful. They went out and they did this miraculous teaching and healing and they kind of got puffed up. They're like, we did it, it was on us. When we start thinking that way, when we get in hard situations, the disciples got in a hard situation, they're like, we have to get ourselves out of this, this situation that we're in. That lake was not that far apart. They had been out there for hours. It should not have taken them that long. It was a, a hard situation they were in, and they forgot that Jesus was with them and thinking they had to get themselves out of that. They could have been mad, right? I don't want to be out here in this they could have been confused. Why would Jesus send us out onto this lake? Right? Why would he do that? Who knows? Maybe they had some unmet expectations. Um, the, there's lots of different things that could have, could have caused their hearts to harden in those, in those circumstances. Maybe they were angry with each other. Right? They were tired. They just had this tired, just being tired. But then they had this long run of ministry and they're getting chippy with each other, right? You ever go hard for an extended period of time, and then you just run out of reserves? 
and something that shouldn't set you off sets you off. Right? Their circumstances harden their hearts. And here's another one. This guy um, is a professor, a writer named Timothy Gombas. He's a scary, smart guy. Uh, and this is a commentary that he wrote on, um, on this section in Mark. The disciples, he's talking about disciples, foolish, foolishly presumptuous in assuming they understand the unfathomable mysteries associated with God's work in Jesus, right? So they're thinking they got Jesus kind of figured out. Is their current understanding of Jesus shaped by their own cultural expectations, prejudices, hopes, and fears? Or are they open to receiving a gift of insight as they strive to grasp the character of Jesus as he truly is? Right? We're talking about the obstacles that keep us from experiencing Jesus. Sometimes the obstacles of our mind and the obstacles of our heart gang up on us and they work together. I think that's what he's describing in asking these questions. Right? When we think we've got Jesus figured out, when we, you know, we kind of put him in that Jesus box. And it's hard to, um, hard to move, move beyond that. And I think everybody sitting in this room can relate to the disciples, right? How, um, whether it's our own bad decisions or the things that happen to us, right? When our hearts get hard and it makes it difficult to see and to hear and to understand, even to remember the things that God may have just done like the disciples, right? So I would ask you the very difficult question is what is it that hardens your heart. Maybe as I was talking about some of the disciples' struggles and you heard me talk about anger or fear, right? maybe your chest started to tighten a little bit, your jaw clenched a little bit because you know what that feels like and you know what it's like. Like, God, where are you? And he's right there, but we're, we're having trouble seeing him and hearing him. So does that mean we're just stuck with these hard hearts and we, we, we're going to miss out on all that Jesus has for us? Fortunately, the answer is no. Jesus pursues us, right? Jesus pursues us because he has and wants to give to us a new heart. Again, back in the Old Testament, God speaking through his messenger, this guy Ezekiel, to his people Israel at perhaps maybe their darkest moment. This is what he says. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you all from your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Yes, ma'am. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. Yep. So the, um, my notes are up on the website, and all the, re the scripture references are in there. Uh, the Old Testament references to the Exodus and Job and all that, they're all in there. And the links are all clickable, take you right to the, right to the scripture passages if you guys wanted to follow up. God wants to give us a new heart, right? It's an invitation to live differently, to live from a soft place, right? Think about that, especially in our day and age, to live with a, a soft heart. And the way we go about accessing that 
is by recognizing who God is and who we are. And then we confess to God not just our shortcomings, but our desire to be with him. Right? And that's where it starts. That's where we get this new heart, this potential to live from a heart of flesh, a soft, soft heart. As we are all too well aware, life is hard. So God gives us this, this soft heart, but then it still, it still gets hard. Right? Why does that happen? Why, I mean, it's, it, we're not left alone in that. Right? I said Jesus pursues us. And he pursues us to enable us to live from that soft-hearted place. Open minds, soft hearts, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up a slide with a bunch of references on it and a bunch of ways that we can care for our hearts and we can keep our hearts soft. And I'm not going to go through, um, I'm not going to go through, through every one of them, just a couple of them. And we have a, have a few minutes. So if there's one in particular up here that I don't talk about, and you want to like dig into a little bit, just put your hand up and we can, we can dive into that one. Um, but I do want to point out the uh, Psalm 11911. It talks about um, how I've, I've hidden my, your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God gave us the Bible so that we might know him and that we might know ourselves we might understand the world around us, right? How we got here, how we're to live while we're here, where we're going. And with that, when we bury that in our hearts, keeps us, keeps us so keeps our hearts soft. Um, the, our phrase, love God, love others, comes from Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, right? God's given us a new heart, and so he would like all of that in return. When we keep a piece of our heart, it gives, there's like a little, a, a foothold for that hardness to creep in to the rest of it, right? God wants our, our whole heart. Um, I'm going to jump down to the, the whole, all of Colossians chapter three is just really, um, if you have a mind to memorizing larger chunks of scripture, I would encourage you to memorize Colossians chapter three. It's just really, really super impactful. Um, but 3.15 says, and let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts. The peace of Christ dwell in your hearts. Right? We have peace with God through the work of Christ. Forgiveness of sins, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. We have that peace with God. Um, but we also have access, not just peace with God, but the peace of God. And I think about, this made me think about the phrase that I've been using a lot, is that we want to keep relationships bigger than problems. And Jesus is the foundation for that. Jesus did not consider the problem of our sin too big, right? He wanted to do something about it. His relationship with us was too important for him to just be like, ah, they're wrong, they're screwing up, they're probably going to screw up again. No, no, no. Jesus kept our relationship bigger than the problem of sin and did something about it himself so that we might have that peace in our hearts. Anything else up there that you want me to maybe talk about specifically? 
or clarify, sorry. Treasure, sure. Uh, Matthew six twenty one. where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And it's I think we hear that verse and we think about it in reverse. But it's actually where our treasure is, right? If my treasure is on the golf course and in my golf bag, that's where all my care and concerns are going to be, right? That's what I'm going to spend my time uh, in order to, nothing wrong with having a hobby, right? But it, it's going to take over who I am. And that's kind of like a silly little example, but it can, it can become harder, right? If our treasure is our children's success, our children's worldly success, that shapes everything. It takes our heart and it molds it to be about that. If our treasure is in God's kingdom, right, our time, our talents, and yes, our financial resources, if we put our treasure into the kingdom of God, our heart will follow it. Does that make sense? All right. So um, this is our big idea for this morning, you guys. Life is hard, right? and, but our hearts don't have to be. Because Jesus offers us a new soft heart. Not only that, he invites us into a relationship with him where he works with us to keep our hearts soft. It's an invitation to live with him with an open mind and a soft heart so we might know and experience all that Jesus is and all that he does. And listen to me. All that he wants to do in you, in you, personally, in us as his people, so he can do something through us. Open minds and soft hearts in our walk with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you do pursue us. Jesus, we come before you and confess our, uh, our hardness of heart. Each of us um, have our, our own ways of, of making bad decisions. God, so we confess those. Um, but God, we're also here because we've all experienced hard things, bad things. Um, and sometimes that makes it hard to see you, hard to hear you, remember you. So God, we ask that you would, we thank you for that gift of a soft heart. We thank you for pursuing us, God. Help us to, um, to care for our own hearts. Help us to care for the hearts of each other. So we might not miss anything, God, of you that you have for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you.